Hi and hello, Watch fans. Welcome to episode 56 of Fratello On Air, otherwise known as Wasp 9.0. This week on Watching Sports and Sporting Watches, Balaj and I will be stepping away from North America itself and focusing on our very own mailbag, which is bursting at the seams thanks to our valued listeners writing in with their questions. So let's not waste any time in speculating what messages may have made their way to Dresden and Karlsruhe, and let's find out from the horse's mouth. Say hello to my sultry-voiced co-host, Balaj. How are you doing, buddy? Am I the horse? You are the horse in this, in this equation, yeah. Sorry. The black stallion. <laughs> if you like. Oh, yeah, I like that. I take it as a compliment. Uh, not much, man. Not much is happening here. Um, bad weather today. Yeah, it's been quite okay in the last few days. Not that, you know, you can do anything these days anyways, but bad weather. Uh, last day for me in Germany. I'll be in Hungary for the next few weeks. Uh, three weeks, four weeks. We'll see. Of course, that means that we're likely going to have to postpone episode 10, our live episode, which we plan on filming together in Karlsruhe at some point, but that's no, no big deal. I'm sure that our listeners will hang around and wait for it. Yeah, we can maybe come up with some short episodes in between. I can take the mic, otherwise we just take a few weeks off and come back with the, with the 10th episode. But yeah, what's up with you? What's up in Dresden? Well, um, yeah, Dresden's cool. Um, it's it's all all fine over here. Um, I've actually got my vaccine booked in. Would you believe? Um, oh yeah, yeah. Surprising. We we managed mm. to get some slots on May thirteenth, and then the second one on June third, which has come at a good time because it means I'll be able to at least travel a little bit more confidently in the next few weeks because I've got some places I have to be for work, and all will become apparent in due time as to why I have to move around a little bit for the first time in many months, but. I'm excited about that. I, I kind of got used to my sedentary lifestyle here and, and quite enjoyed not being on planes every other day, but uh, change, change is always good. So um, bring it on. Uh, it's an interesting day, actually, because we are recording this on Friday, uh, one day after Manchester United came from 2-1 down to thrash Roma in the Europa League semi-final. And for anyone that doesn't know, any of our American listeners, maybe the Europa League is Europe's second tier interleague European Cup with the final due to be held later in May. Uh, sitting on a 6-2 first leg home advantage now, United are heavy favourites to see off a Roma team now riding a five-game losing streak and make it to the big game, while Arsenal, another English side, must overturn a 2-1 away defeat to Villarreal if they hope to make it an all-English final. So Arsenal have been pretty rubbish this season under former star player turned coach Mikel Arteta, but they finished the first leg on a high, securing a away goal that could well be the difference should they see off Villarreal back home. Uh, as a lifelong Manchester United fan, of course, last night's game was a roller coaster ending in, in pure joy. United haven't been able to seriously challenge their local rivals in the domestic league, but at times under Solskjaer, they have looked truly threatening, as they did under Ferguson's reign. So this looks like it's United's competition to lose, which, although they very well might find a way to, I'm feeling good about their chances right now. So what do you think about that? And um, have you been following it and the Champions League, obviously Europe's Premier Cup competition? Uh. No and yes. I haven't followed that one. I followed Champions League. So uh, I cannot comment on that. I can comment on the Champions League. And actually, you spoke about English teams, right? That's in Manchester United. There's another city. I mean, there's another team from Manchester, Manchester City, that's uh, in a pretty high position now in the Champions League, isn't it? Yeah, they're, they're in the, um, well, they got their semi- second leg of a semifinal yet to come. Right, um, right. Finally balanced that one should be uh, should be interesting. Yeah, it's going to be one Spanish team, one French team, and two English teams, right? So Real Madrid against Chelsea, and then Paris Saint Germain against Manchester City. Uh, the second leg is when is that next Tuesday and next Wednesday, I think. 
And I just looked into the history of um, you know Champions League. And the most successful club in the history of Champions League, Rob, is Real Madrid. With how many titles? Ooh, I would off the top of my head, I'd say thirteen. No, but yeah, is that right? Thirteen titles, right? But this year they don't seem to be that forceful. If you look at the previous scores, I mean they're in the semifinals, granted against uh, Chelsea, but the the first leg was one one. Uh, their previous game against Liverpool was nil, and then previously that okay it was three one against Liverpool, but. You know, they, they don't seem to be um, that strong this year. For example, Man City beat Paris Saint-Germain 2-1 in the first leg, and now they're playing uh, next Tuesday. So what are your predictions of that? Well, I think City are the better team. City are the best team in this competition, in my opinion, and I hope they go on and win it. I really would love them to, to get that monkey off their back and bring the title back to Manchester. Not to my club, but um, most of my friends are City supporters, not United supporters. So um, I'd love them to win it for them. And I think they deserve it as well. Um, they've been there and thereabouts for a while, but they've never really got their game together in Europe. I'm hoping that City's comfortable cushion at the top of the Premier League will give them the time and space to focus on um, seeing off Paris Saint-Germain. They got a bit lucky with those two goals, to be, to be frank. I mean, one was a cross um, from De Bruyne that just went straight into the, the net, and the other one was a bit stuffy as well. So um, I think that they will find their, their feet against Paris in the second leg and hopefully do away with them. And in the Real one, I mean, I don't have a scoreline prediction for you. I'd guess I'd say City two 0 if you, if you want if you want a prediction mm-hmm. there. But in the Real one, yeah, Real aren't the dominant force they have been, and I think they are seriously distracted by what's going on in La Liga. And um, Barcelona fell to Granada surprisingly the other night two one after an early Messi goal. They conceded two in the second half, I think. And uh, that's put the cat amongst the pigeons with Atletico still leading that one by, I think, a couple of points. I think it's 73 points to Atletico and 71 to Real Madrid and Barca um, apiece. Uh, I've not bothered checking the goal difference because La Liga doesn't break ties on goal difference. It breaks it on head-to-head. So it's a slightly different format to the English league. I think that Real, out of those three teams sitting at the top of La Liga at the moment, are probably the, the weakest side or certainly the most the one I trust the least. Um, when it comes to playing Chelsea, normally I'd fancy them to see him off because I think that Real are European specialists under Zidane. Obviously, they've had huge success um, winning his first three cracks at the competition, which is just nuts. Um, but yeah, this this Tuchel side from Chelsea, they're starting to look quite... Um, how can we say? They, they don't look particularly exciting, but they do look very, very well drilled. And they have got quite a tight grip on the fourth spot in the league right now, having beaten West Ham uh, recently. So I think they're going to throw everything at this game. And I would be surprised, actually, if we don't see an all-English final in, mm-hmm. in the Champions League. Yeah, I agree. The Man City PSG uh, or PSG second leg of the semifinals, I think that's a no-brainer. I think that's, uh, that's Man City, just like you said. Um, for the second one, I mean, for the, the other... the other two teams, Chelsea and Real Madrid, I would also say that Chelsea is going to come up and then it's going to be Man City-Chelsea final in the UEFA Championship. It's a really funny one, though, because I often think like that's definitely going to favour Man City because they beat teams like Chelsea on the regular week in, week out in the Premier League. But th- there is there is maybe, uh, maybe a, bit, a bit more of an advantage in Chelsea's corner here, knowing the Man City game so well, knowing what they've got to do. They will go into that game as massive underdogs, and so they should, but 
we see it in the NFL quite frequently. Uh, teams that lose to one team in the regular season come back and triumph in the postseason because they know they have to change. And the winning team has all the pressure because the team that has already done it doesn't know whether to just try and replicate the original game plan or try something completely balls to the wind and risk looking like idiots. I mean, we saw it in the Super Bowl when the Buccaneers ousted the Chiefs, having lost to them in the regular season. So yeah, tough one for City. They've got to be careful. They have to focus on this. They don't want to drop the ball and lose their first Champions League final to Chelsea of all teams. That would be awful. Who knows? Yeah, we will know on the 29th of May when the final will happen. And we'll know next week who's going to be in the finals on Tuesday and Wednesday when first on Tuesday, Manchester City against PSG is going to play, and then the next day, Chelsea against Real Madrid. So, um, I have one question left, though. Yeah? What's going to happen with AFC Richmond? God, you bring this up every goddamn week. Um, I think AFC Richmond are going to win the soccer ball competition in the uh, inter-league face-off and go all the way to the Superfield contest and score some goals in the hole. There you have it. You heard it from the man himself, AFC Richmond for the win. Always for the win. All right, Balaj, I have got some treats for you from the mailbag. Okay, so a uh, little bit different this week. We're not going to do our usual whiz around the leagues or matching watches with sports stars or anything like that. No jerseys on the horizon, don't worry. Um, we are going to dive into our email inbox, and we've received quite a lot of very nice, very friendly messages uh, from our listeners around the world and we're going to pose three questions to each other um, which we haven't heard before so forgive us if we uh, if we stumble a little bit while we're trying to figure out our answers um, we're going to give it our best shot i'll dive in first and i'll shoot you the first of three questions i've selected for you okay so this one comes from justin Devereaux in ohio he's been listening to wasp since episode three but went back and listened to the first two episodes after becoming hooked i have a feeling that your friend skilly music's theme tune might have had something to do with that but um shout out to skilly music again. shout out to skilly music whatever it was that kept him coming back for more he's a regular listener he like you was a massive michael jordan fan growing up and loved the watches we paired with the goat he's not against tissot's current sponsorship of the nba but he wants to know if you could choose one brand not only to sponsor the league but also to create a special shot clock timer complication which brand would it be and how would that complication be realized that's a good one i would go with omega Okay, okay. Because I think the NBA is, you know, it's a huge international organization, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Known worldwide from the US to China and beyond, Russia, Europe, South America. NBA has become a phenomenon which we have not seen in the 90s when Jordan was playing. And I I think that he single-handedly put the NBA on the map. Uh, at least... He laid the foundations, let's just put it this way. So as much as I love my friends at Tissot, and I truly do, if they ever need to cancel the contract and the NBA needs to find a new brand, it has to be one from the Swatch Group. And if you look at the brands from the Swatch Group, what's the next step? Next step is up, right? When you go up, you have Blancpain, you have Harry Winston, you have Breguet, None of them are really fitting to the NBA's character. I think Omega is. And if you look at all the other organizations and other um, sports events and stuff like that, that Omega sponsor or partner with, you know, that's, um, I think that that would be a smart move, right? Yeah, that's nice. So uh, what I'm really curious about from a watchmaking perspective is this shot clock timer complication, would you use a standard chronograph 
base geared up to count 24 seconds? Would you use a digital dial? Like, you know, would you power it with something like, you remember those old, well, not old, but relatively recently released Eterna movements that had the digital chronograph counter on the dial? You know, you could do something like that. Uh, what, what, what seems good to you? Yeah, I mean, I thought about this and uh, while you were talking, and the the um, X33s or the Z33s would be nice, but they are connected to, you know, space quite heavily. Um, and I wouldn't do a quartz watch. So I was thinking more, well, either a speedy with just a normal, because the shot clock is 24 seconds, right? It's a, right. It's a um, countdown, 24-second countdown timer. So either that, or what we could do is maybe, um, and this is where you come to play, because you're a watchmaker, alter the movements that they use for the yacht, what's it called? Not, not yacht timer. The regatta. Um, the regattas, right, for the Seamasters. Great choice. Which is a 15-minute, I think, counter, and make it a 24-second one. Well, I think the advantage of that, and a lot of these, well, uh, the advantage of most regatta timers is that they can be very quickly reset. So it's like mm -hmm. a, like a flyback function really, yeah. because they, they have this complication so they can tack back and forth before the start line, right? And they need to know mm -hmm. like what the countdown which adjusts. So that's a really good idea as a base. Obviously, we'd have to speed it up considerably, but it would be neat to see like, um, I don't know if you do it with a disc or a hand or something, but the, the red, you know, the last five seconds of the shot clock or the last eight seconds could be, yeah. could be red. That'd be pretty cool. That would look nice. Yeah, I, I was thinking more of the, the dots and maybe do it orange. So okay. the dots would represent the ball. <laughs> nice, nice. Very Something nice. like that. So that could be cool. And you know, those watches are often white or blue with a bit of red, which is obviously the logo of the color of the, the NBA logo and the NBA itself, the red, white, and blue. Um, so they could, they could play around with those colors, you know, have a blue version with a, with a touch of red and a tiny bit of white and maybe have a, a, a red version with blue and vice versa. That, that could be a nice... I know Seamasters are for, yeah, I know that's for divers and, and sailing and that kind of stuff, but come on, you know. Well, you could, you could go a little bit further. I mean, you could modify it in a way that you wouldn't need necessarily the dive bezel. You could just put a regular bezel on it and just use like the, the guts of it. So that would be pretty interesting. And just, this is slightly off base, but um, I was just thinking about a case back, like a basketball style case back, like a textured, mm. textured rubberized case back. And I think Ming did something like that with one of their concept divers. They had like a sort of rubber yeah. disc in the back, so it gripped. That would be pretty cool as well. Yeah, and you could put you could put like twelve hour markers on the bezel to mark each uh, quarter of the game. Oh yeah, so that twelve minutes, twenty four, oh, thirty six, yeah. forty eight, and then another twelve is sixty. So it'd be but really you don't need the other twelve. It would be really neat if you could um, if you had like two timers at once on the watch, one for the shot clock and one for the quarter. But I guess the quarters would be so stop start because of the way that the clock is managed. Might be a bit too complex. Is it? Just have another, another hand just running around? Not if it's just running around, but you know, like it, it won't be timing a 12 minute quarter, will it? Because. No, 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 no. It would just show you the elapsed time of uh -huh. that 12 minutes. Oh, yeah, that would be. I guess that's, that could be feasible. Just add another hand that just runs around every hour, like a second hand. I, I wish that we had more like dual chronographs. Uh, I've been thinking about it a lot recently because I was thinking about a watch I'm designing myself for this. Uh, challenge that I, I hope to undertake in the next couple of years. And I thought, oh, well, I need a chronograph. And I also need a telemeter function at the mm -hmm. same time. Um, and the, the best way I've come up with it is to use like a, uh, to use a retropant. So you can kind of, and then an adjustable bezel, an adjustable telemeter bezel. So you can use a retropant to stop on a zero point 
when you see the flash of lightning yeah. and then adjust the outside bezel in time for the thunder to rumble so you have a, a telemeter readout at the same time without interrupting your chronograph count. But it would be so much easier if you could have like a secondary chronograph mechanism, two different dials. But that would be a, a big watch, no? The thick movement. Well, you know, the advantage of having all these uh, ultra-thin movements being invented by brands like Piaget and Bulgari is that this, this technology, as it does with Formula One and regular road cars, does eventually filter down into the more affordable stuff. So, you know, they could be fantastic bases. When Nomos came out with the DW3001, they treated it as a foundation for the future. And it wasn't to say that their watches would always be super slim, but it meant that if they needed to build a complication on top of it, they wouldn't have to have such a preposterously thick watch because the base caliber itself was was so slim and petite. So who knows what the future holds? Possible. Yeah. So that's my first pick, Omega, with a Regatta timer, probably with a few different uh, little design elements marking the NBA collaboration, color-wise, bezel-wise. Nice stuff. Perfect. So hit me with a so, question from the mailbag. Okay. This one is from Alex Cortez from Orange County, California. Hi, Alex. So he says that despite the fact that he grew up in a household full of the uh, full of um, Anaheim Angels fans, he's a huge Oakland A supporter. Okay, which is a blasphemy in itself, right? When you're from Orange County, <laughs> I guess. And so. Um, so he says he asks you basically that you bet on the Oakland A's beating the Nationals, and you won five k USD because that obviously happened, <laughs> as it should, right? Right. Um, where's the money going? And it'd have to be a watch or watch-related purchase. Well, the latter is no problem. Obviously, I would spend my money on, on a watch. So firstly, I would never bet against my beloved Nationals, especially... Oh, wait, is that your favorite team? Yes, it's my favorite team. Oh, we didn't know that. Oh, you guys, Alex and you, what do you like? Uh, in cahoots, no doubt. So no, I mean, I, I, would, be, I would be pretty loath to bet against them unless unless they were... I don't know, unless they were overwhelming favorites, which I guess in, in this game we're talking about isn't the case because the A's are really storming this season so far and the Nationals have stumbled out of the gate as we'd expect. They've been on a real hangover since they won the World Series two seasons ago, understandably because they got rid of some of their best players, as often happens with champs. So my choice, what would I treat myself? You know, I almost won this kind of money on a sports bet once. I don't bet on sports anymore, largely because of this emotionally traumatic uh, occurrence in 2009, I had, I think it was five or 10, 10 pounds maybe on, uh, on Tom Watson to win the British Open in 2009, uh, right from the first round. And he was 200 to one. So it would have been two grand. So it's half as much really, but he was, uh, he was leading all the way to the 18th hole on the last round. And, uh, he bottled it to say the least. And Stuart Sink beat him in a playoff. And I, oh God, I still haven't got over it. I can't, even bring myself to read any golf articles about Stuart Sink, who won a tournament a couple of weeks ago. I saw the headline and just instantly closed my laptop and walked outside and had a had a quiet cry to myself, thinking about Watson's awful capitulation. So um, you've opened some old wounds here. Five k, five k. Okay, I tell you what, I'd buy. I would, uh, and I'm a little bit biased in this way because I've just I've just been doing a podcast with this man. But I would buy a Schofield watch from uh, Giles Ellis. I have had mm-hmm. Schofield on my shopping list ever since I was a watchmaker. I uh, adore what he does from a design perspective. It's all design. It's, it's, not, it's not about the movement in this case. It's really just about his vision and how he executes everything to such a high standard. Five grand is a, a healthy budget for a, a Schofield. 
And Giles is also very accommodating with the kind of stuff that he lets you customize. Uh, so you can have a completely custom case back and he does the graphic design for it and it's awesome. So I'd probably take, I'd ask him if he had any of the old green beta swamp thing dials in stock. I would put one of those in probably a, a blasted steel case with the new beta crown. I would put it on a green tweed strap with a red ceramic buckle and I would be a very happy chappy. It's a pretty interesting choice, I have to say. Not a bad one, don't get me wrong. It's just what I want. I thought you, no, okay, no, it's, it's perfect. I thought you were going to go with something less intriguing, you know, but that's actually a, a very, very interesting choice and answer. I, I mean, like the, budget, that. the budget fell into my lap. It's just these watches are priced at around £3,000 and, you know, maybe with a ceramic buckle, you stick another 100 or 200 on there or something. But um, to me, that's, that's what I desire. It's just been on the list. So if you'd given me a budget of 10 or 20, I might have said something a little bit more extravagant, a little bit more mainstream perhaps, but no, nope, that's what I do with it. So what's, what's, the, um, what's the movement inside those babies? It just doesn't matter. Like a lot of the times he uses new old stock movements that, you know, you would never really expect to find in watches these days. And I like that as well. But the, the closed case back is one of the main selling points for me because of the designs that he puts on it. So yeah, I don't care. Um, it's good. Yeah. The case backs are, are actually marvelous. I have to say. They really are. Works the imagery is, is, yeah, it's awesome. It's, it's almost, almost more interesting to me than the, than the face of the, the watch actually. It's really cool. Yeah, uh, there's uh, these stories and designs that he puts on the case backs. Okay, that's a nice one. So uh, hit me with your second question, All right, if you cool. have one. All right, question two comes from Eleanor Fields, also stateside, but hailing from Indiana. Eleanor wants to know how you managed to keep up with American sports as a kid growing up in Hungary and when you got into watches. Um, she also asks if she can have your phone number. Now, you don't have to read it out on air mate but she does sound nice so if you want me to pass it on i would zero, be zero 49 all right five, calm down. Five, five. Oh my god hang on i'm gonna write it down because i want to call you sometime as well <laughs> all right go on hit me so how did you do it how did you do it as a kid growing up in hungary i didn't yeah. um it was not that easy because as we just talked about i mean i was mostly interested in the nba i have to say when i was young you know i had the cards i had the magazines the jerseys and things like that but Social media was not around. The internet was not around in the early 90s and mid 90s when I started to familiarize myself with the NBA. Um, I think my, my earliest memories around probably around 93, 4, 5, 6. So Shaquille O'Neal still with the, with the Orlando Magic. That's that time. So we had the cards and, and things like that. Not much was happening in TV. But I remember because partly, obviously, of the late great Drajan Petrovic, a lot of games were shown in the Croatian TV. In Croatian, I think the third channel, the Croatian TV was a sports channel. They showed sports games. So um, I used to watch that um, because they would they would show you the game and obviously there would be the, the, the Croatian um, commentators, but you would hear the English under it. Um, so we watched the games there, and then I was I was very familiar with uh, sports terminology in Croatian more than in Hungarian because <laughs> that's what I that's what I watched all the time. So I don't remember much. And utakmicu, I think, in Croatian means uh, game or like match. Nice um, and these kind of things. But uh, yeah, but it was it was not that easy. And of course, as as you know, technology progressed, and then the internet came, and everything became easier. And and um, I grew up 
keeping this love and now I'm buying all those jerseys I didn't buy when I was in my in my you know early teens and things like that that's why I have all those vintage champion jerseys in the in the closet but yeah it was uh, it was interesting but it was very cool and we enjoyed it and we played a lot outdoors with my friends we went to play basketball and and you know we played until the ball basically fell apart and that the usual story what, what you would have or hopefully every kid would have these stories to to you know take the ball and just like stick it in between the the frame of the of the bicycle when you're like riding to yeah to play the game yeah that kind of stuff so it was a uh, fun times fun times and my number is 00495 so um anyway um i'm just jealous that's all um yeah i was lucky i didn't have to ride my bike to the, my my local court was about 400 meters down the road from where i lived in a in a park and uh that was a real blessing but i know did I know your mom be like yeah like robert come home for dinner no, she was glad to have me out of the house. I think she was oh, yeah, sick of well, the sight of me. <laughs> you know? I can see that. Yeah. All right. So, second part of the question then: um, How did you get into watches? Where did that start? I don't know. Um, I, there is no story like, you know, my grandfather gave me his pocket watch, and that's how it started. Um, I've always been interested in watches, and I think that to me, the only uh, piece of jewelry that a man should wear is a watch other than maybe a wedding ring or whatever the case may be i'm really not a a, 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 you know a a jewelry guy or none of that stuff i don't really care too much for that and i think it was around when i really really started to get into watches and start reading watch forums and things like that it's around 2006 2007 but i've always been interested and you know i i kind of gradually got into it uh, it started with the little Casio watches and the the G-Shocks and the Illuminators and all those those um, that were cool back in the day when I was a kid. I remember a friend of mine had a watch and it had this huge Illumin- Illuminator button on it and we, we used to press it and it was green and oh, that's like amazing. It looks like a rocket on your wrist, you know, when you're like eight or nine or whatever. Um, and then I had my my money, and I bought my Casio. And I remember that the, the straps or these these rubber plastic straps would break eventually. And I had to go back and have them like change the straps like every two years. And I still I think we, my mom still has it. And yeah, and it took off around two thousand five, six, seven with the forums. And I read a lot of um, for uh, threads and what you seek Omega forum. I think just like RJ, I think he just left the forum. Um, around the time when I arrived, so he started for Tello in 2004, and then he had no time to read the forums anymore and, or or participate. And he kind of was still around, but we didn't know each other. And then he left. And then I I read hundreds of, if not thousands, of threads. Like every evening, I spent hours and hours and hours reading, learning, understanding vintage models and and things like that. And this is where it all started. And then eventually, that resulted me in getting in touch with RJ. Um, to to write for or well to ask him if he needs somebody to write and um the rest is history and i talked about this in many podcasts so Amazing. you can look it up but yeah so is that where your your love of vintage angular watches came from yeah vintage in general for some reason i love vintage more than than new and if you well if you come to to record the next episode you'll see my apartment it's kind of vintage inspired i just i i, I love those things and um yeah, this was probably around the time I came across this whole Angelou story, which was not even known to me, like uh, about the Air Force and the disconnection. And then obviously that was a very interesting story for me. So I started to do this research, which is still ongoing, by the way, um, since poof, 
I don't even know since six, seven years. Um, yeah, but but definitely the love of what I love for vintage came from the Omega Forum because I've always been fascinated by those the flight masters and those early sea masters with the 1040 movements and you know those big chunky 70s colorful pieces, the chrono stops and things like that. And my taste changed. I'm more into the 60s and 50s now rather than the 70s, but uh, I still enjoy those watches. And then that eventually resulted into other pieces like the Angelus. And then the story came and um, yeah, that's how I got hooked. Fascinating. I'm sure that that answer has further wooed Eleanor. Um, I can't wait to hear from her again. Um, so great stuff. Could be the start of something beautiful. Hit me with um, hit me with my number two. Your number two. My number two. This is Johannes K. I'm not going to say his full name. From Berlin. Oh, local boy. Yeah, exactly. So he says that he loves the fact that we both hail from Germany and that he wants to meet you next time you're in Berlin because you're close by, closer than I am anyways. Yeah, just two hours away. Right. So next time you're in Berlin, let me know and I'll, I'll uh, pass on his details. So he wanted to ask you, like, what's the one sport that you have not tried but always wanted to? Ooh. And what would be the watch that you'd wear if you could during a match or, or playing that sport? The one sport that you've never tried but you've always wanted to? Okay, so I've played a lot of sports in my life, as you, as you know, and as many of our listeners have probably picked up on throughout the run of Wasp. So to find one that I've never played or participated in is tricky, but I do have an answer, actually. It's just come back to me. Um, the answer is fencing. Uh, mm. I've never fenced, but I've always thought, <laughs> because I'm, I don't know, wired this way, I'd be good at fencing. It seems to fit my, uh, I mean, I'm a watchmaker, right? So I, I'm, I'm, I like precision. I like these sort of fine actions of the wrist and the backwards and forwards motion you know, that they, I, I pretend that I'm a fencer sometimes, sometimes when I'm just walking places, which must, must freak people out quite significantly, you know, skipping backwards and forwards on the street like uh, D'Artagnan. But um, yeah, I've always wanted to fence. And there was actually a fencing club over the hill in Staley Bridge. Um, I grew up in a town called Glossop, east of Manchester. And Staley Bridge is a 20-minute drive. And I, I had every opportunity to go there. Um, but I never, I was never in Glossop when I wasn't studying or working like crazy hours or two jobs or whatever. So I never had the time to join a club and I really regret it because I think I would have been pretty good at it. And I mean, I'm 35 now, so I think I'm probably, probably a bit old to, uh, you know, harbor any Olympic aspirations, but, um, I don't know. You could I be a senior fencing champion. Maybe I could, I could enter a master's league if I did, if I tried it and I had an aptitude for it. Um, I, I, I fancy it. Yeah. I had to, I had to move away from, like all the contact sports I used to play because uh, recently, about a year and a half ago, I had all these MRI scans on my head because um, a lot of weird symptoms were presenting themselves. And uh, they found that I had this enlarged vein in the back of my brain, which uh, was responsible for a sudden random basal vagus attack a few years back, which was completely undiagnosed. So apparently impacts to the head are bad news for me. So uh, I have to try and like, I can't play American football anymore. I can't play rugby. I can't box. Um, or I shouldn't do at least. So I thought, yeah, fencing's ideal because you know you can stab me. That's cool. That's fine. Nothing wrong with my uh, my torso, and it's a very small target. I have long legs and a minuscule torso, uh, so I'm pretty pretty uh, pretty confident I'd be. Uh, I'm perfectly built for fencing. So I do that. And to answer the other question, um, I think I would wear a reverso 
Why not? There's you no know? fencing watch, right? There's no such thing as I don't believe so. I don't believe so. But you know, we can never rule it out. There, there maybe there was someone that did one, but not not to my knowledge. And I know that I'd be fencing with my right hand and I'd wear my watch on the left. But yeah, I'd, I'd take a reverso just because of the nature of it. And I think that's an appropriate choice. Obviously, it's invented for polo, but um, you know, when someone's swinging a sword at you, goodness sake, um, not a bad idea to have your watch face protected. So that's my answer. Nice one. You should have said Cartier Basculante. Same idea. Yeah, that. But it's yeah, much yeah. more fancy than the than the reverso. Well, I kind of like the reverso. I, I kind of sneaky want reverso as well. Like it's 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 not really on my. You don't want a Basculante? No, not really. Um, it's not really on my list. I do like Cartiers, actually. I like some Cartiers. I like that um, Santos Galbe that Thomas has, and I really like these new um, these new solar-powered ones. I think they're pretty cool and interesting tech, so I'd be tempted by that. But yeah, that's that's it for Cartier for me. But yeah, Reversos always linger in the back of my mind as a watch that I think mm. watch collectors should have at some point. So and You could put your family crest on the back, so when you because <laughs> you know, fencing and you know, blue blood that goes, wow, kind of goes together, right? Talk you about just flip it over. <laughs> Talk about social mobility. Um, I never expected when I was a kid that I'd be discussing on a luxury watches podcast, um, having my family crest on the back of a Jaeger Reverso while fencing. There you go. Mm -hmm. Lord nuts. Lord nuts. You know, I am a lad. My brother bought me one square foot of land in Scotland for my birthday many years ago, and it was my nickname for years, Laird. Laird nuts. Well, there you go. Are you? Yes, so you're, you're not only Irish and English, but now Scottish as well. I'm a Scottish landowner. I don't have any claim to Scottish ancestry, really. I thought I did, because my grandfather's name is Fraser. And, uh, well, my, my great-grandfather's name, sorry, is Fraser. And um, we assumed Like that, the TV show? Uh, no, with a Z, okay? F-R-A-Z-E-R. And that's relevant. We thought for years that we were, on his side, descended from the Fraser clan. And so I even have, like... Fraser tartan scarves and socks that people have bought for me for my birthday is a bit of a joke. But we found out recently, because my dad's been digging into the genealogy of mm -hmm. our family, uh, he discovered that our, na our family's name was changed from Fraser to Fraser to make it more acceptable. So there's nothing Scottish about that. Um, wow. I don't know if we're like, I don't know where it came from. It's a strange name. I've never met anybody called Mr. Freezer before. Like a Freezer, fridge freezer. Fraser. Yeah. So it's funny because my, my family's name used to be Fridge and now it's Ferenczi. So. <laughs> so you're Fridge and I'm Freezer. Yeah, exactly. Not Refrigerator, Fridge. And then they said, we have to find something, you know, more Hungarian and they went with Ferenczi. It's the same F. So they kept the, the F on the crest. Oh. They just had to change the last name. From Fridge to Ferenczi. Well, okay, we have to make a thing out of this now. We we, we were calling ourselves like subtly R and B um, as a as a presenting duo, but now we're Fridge and Freezer. That's absolutely brilliant. That is classic. Oh goodness, what a what a what a thing! Thanks to uh, Johannes Johannes K. Yeah, Johannes K. From Berlin. Good yes. man, good man. Yeah. Well, what a thing to have unearthed. All right. Okay. Next one for you. Finally, we have Eric Nelson from the UK. Doesn't specify where from, uh, so who knows. Uh, he wants to know what your favorite experiences of the watchmaking industry have been since you started working in it professionally. What kind of opportunities do you get that mere mortals, those are his words, not mine, aren't privy to? And secondly, have either you or Rob, that's me, ever been invited to sporting events sponsored by watch brands? And if so, which was your favorite? Good question. Um, many events, um, sport events, and others 
I can't really pick one. I think overall the the thing that what I love about this is to meet the same people at different events in different parts of the world. Um, and we can experience those things and build a connection that eventually leads to something like a friendship with those guys. Because we are all coming from different countries. Just a few weeks ago, I had to do a presentation. A friend of mine is um, a professor or guest professor at university, or, or actually our, our alma mater university in Hungary. And um, I had to do a presentation about my career. And there's one picture in it, which was taken, I think, in 2018, the last SIHH. Uh, Lange dinner mm. and there's eight of us or seven of us on the stage and all of them are from a different country so there's one american one polish one singaporean one norwegian one australian so one portuguese so you know it and you i guess you know who those guys are like you see these people at most events uh, let that be a watch event i mean a basel word an sih or an event by a brand and that's a cool thing, I think, to see the, see these familiar faces and, and, you know, welcome them as friends after a while. And just the overall ambience that, that comes with that uh, in the industry, uh, which is something that I think most of us are missing these days. As you said, you can't travel. Um, there are no events like that. So that's the thing that I like and that's the thing that I miss the most. Um, there is no one, not one specific event that I'd like to pick. Um, but to answer the second part of the question, sports events, yes. Mostly um, motor racing, because mm -hmm. I live very close to the Hockenheim ring. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So DTM, uh, so the Deutsch, uh, Deutsche Touring Masters, uh, GT Masters, 24-hour uh, of Le Mans, WEC. So these, um, I've been to um, WEC Europe Tour with, uh, with Betty in Austria, in Spielberg, which is pretty cool. Also, 24 of Le Mans in, in France, obviously, in Le Mans. Um, I'm not particularly a, a, a huge motorsports fan, but that's just, it just happened this way. And, and I enjoy it. I, I love the ambience because it's, you know, it's not the Formula One. But when you go to, for example, Le Mans, it's an insane circus. Like, it's an insane show. And there's so much money put into that. You, you just not believe that. Everybody talks about Formula One and, you know, F1 this, F1 that. But, but man... It was, it's just an amazing experience. It seems like another lifetime now, doesn't it? When we talk about it, just remembering oh, all those things we got to do and uh, how lucky we were and hopefully will be again, but just crazy. Uh, just a year and a half, oh, yeah, a year and a half away from it all. And uh, it just feels like a dream. So, yeah, I talk about 2019, like it was last year. And I realized, no, actually a year passed since then. And we're now in 2021. Yeah, it's like it's last year, just completely. Uh, went down the tube. Yeah, big time. <laughs> One way to put it. Big time. Yeah, it's funny. Motorsport always is there, isn't it? Like always there and thereabouts with watches. I tag tag invited me to the Goodyear. Uh, good, sorry. Tag invited me to the Goodwood Festival of Speed in 2015, and went to see the World Superbikes at Donington with the Swatch Group. I can't remember which brand it was specifically. I think it might have been your beloved Tissot, actually. Probably. Um, yeah, they did the motorbike brand. I got, to, uh, I got to work an event, actually. I got to work the America's Cup in Portsmouth for Bremont because they were sponsoring um, Team Oracle that year, and that was really cool. I, I mean, hmm. I'd never, never thought about watching the America's Cup live, but it was awesome. And there's like a flyover, and the cup itself was there, and it was like protected by 
two security guards and it's in this enormous box. I don't know if you've seen it in real life. It's a beautiful looking jug. It really is one of the nicest trophies in the world. But that was, yeah, a jug. It's crazy, but um, lovely thing. But the best one was definitely the HYT hosted RC44 yacht race that actually didn't happen in the end in 2015, just because of the setting and because just couldn't believe that like just a guy from Glossop was like able to walk around Porto Chevo and you know, look at these yachts and zip out onto the ocean on Zodiacs and watch dolphins jumping around a place. It was just insane. Mm. So that kind of stuff is just... And I think Betty was there with you, no? At the time from Fratello. I think he was there. That's a good question. If he was, we didn't interact with one another at all. Um, I sort of buddied up with uh, Paul O'Neill at the time. I didn't really mm-hmm. have much to do with, with the other guys. Uh, he's a nice chat, Paul. I miss him. Paul is a nice guy, yeah. Yeah, just, just a really sound bloke. And, you know, we were quite close over those couple of years. We haven't had so much to do with each other since because of separation and whatnot. But I can't wait to see him again. Yeah, he, lives in, great. he lives in Switzerland, I think, no? He does, yeah, he does. But he's from, um, he's from Central England. Great guy. So, okay. um, what are we on Last now? one. Last one for me? So, this is from Instagram. Uh, I don't want to, you know, disclose the, the account because it's not, not that interesting. Craziest sports you've ever played? Sport or sports? Sport. Well, sport you've ever played. And then I'm going to tell you mine. And I think you will never guess what the craziest sport that I ever played was. Okay. Well, I guess that I have to put, um, I have to put American football at the top in terms of the... Uh, the intensity of the the contact and the training that I put myself through to whip my um, child sized body into the kind of shape it needed to be to play that. Good game. You said child sized body. I was a bit afraid when you said whip my. <laughs> no, I don't have any children to whip, and if I did, I, I definitely wouldn't whip them. Just get that out of the way. Um, no, I, I really had to put in a lot of effort. You know, I, I played football when I was. 19, 20, 21 years old. And back then I was even smaller naturally than I am now. Obviously age has caught up with me and I, I carry weight that I never used to be able to hold a lot easier. But I would be in the gym several times a week eating six meals a day, just trying to put on the necessary muscle and um, completely screwed myself up in the process. Totally. Became entirely muscle bound on my front, caused myself endless shoulder problems. Had to give it up after 13 shoulder dislocations uh, over the last two seasons of my career i say in inverted commas it wasn't very glorious um one under 19 cap for the england side was as far as i ever went but i don't think i would have made it any further um too too small had the speed maybe the head for it but definitely not the body so that was it that was i played cornerback cornerback so Mm. you know what i wanted to be a wide receiver growing up all the way through and then for some reason on the first day of training camp they asked us where we wanted to play and i just had this rush of blood to the head and thought you know what I think knowing the game like I do and looking at the guys around me and the physical specimens we had lining up at wide receiver, I thought, I think I might be better served playing corner and a better chance of getting on the team. And in those days, I mean, this was 2004, I guess I started playing properly. The slot receiver position, which we have in the NFL now, you know, a guy, a smaller guy on the inside, like Julian Edelman or Wes Welker, for example, didn't really exist. You still had a very traditional, um, you know, run focused single tight end set with two wide receivers. Out, out to the sides. We hadn't even gone through the phase of having twin tight end sets being a common thing. So the receiving game was, was smaller than it is now, but not literally. And so that's why I stepped away from that and played corner. Interesting. There you go. And what about you then? What is the most... Do you want me to guess? I mean, <laughs> You can guess. I, I want to say... Um, You'll never guess it. Never. Oh, what's that game called? Um, uh, okay. It's the one... Oh, roller derby. That's what I want to say. On skates. 
I had a friend, a watchmaker, played that, and she was absolutely nuts. She was tough as nails. No? No. What about murder ball? Basketball in a wheelchair? No. I could see you being quite good at that, actually. Um, give me a clue. Give me a clue. It's um, an alternative version of a very popular sport uh, that we talk about quite often. Um, okay, it's going to be, I don't know, trampoline basketball. No. All right, I'm going to give up. It's going to be something hockey-related, probably. Go on, tell me, what is it? Underwater hockey. I beg your pardon? Underwater hockey. All right, okay, okay. Firstly, I don't know what underwater hockey is, and I guess maybe one or two of our listeners won't either, so enlighten us, please. Uh, underwater hockey basically is, um, I think it's also no, known as octopush. I don't know. It's uh, basically you have a, a <laughs> really, I'm not joking. It's a thing. Before before you start laughing, it is a thing. The, right. These things do, do exist. All right. Um, so basically you have a snorkel, and you have a like a mouth guard. Great. You have fins. And then you have a glove, which is colored, usually black or white, or, well, basically the gloves are there to distinguish, do the gloves are the jerseys. Okay. So you see who's with you and who's against you. Okay. And then there's a puck, which is a very heavy, I'm not sure how heavy, but it's a, it's a pretty heavy puck. So obviously it stays at the bottom of the pool. And then um, there's a hat with, you know, with the ear guards and your name on it or your number. And there's a, there's a stick, a small stick, the size of a knife, basically around... I would say thirty centimeters long, oh. eighteen inches. You got some pretty big knives in your in your house, that's for sure. But um, terrifying. But um, okay. So you, what do you prod this? What's the glove for? So, so you basically the glove is the glove is you hold the, the stick with the glove, and it's like a, a silicon glove, and you hold the stick in it, and you can see who's with you, who's against you, and you have six people: three offense, three defense, front and back, and um, you play this at the bottom of a pool swimming pool so you have the puck at the bottom of the pool and then with the little stick you have to drive the puck and score goal but the problem is that we're not fish so we eventually have to come up and get some oxygen is, so is that the only a, problem is that the only problem you've identified now nah, when game? they kick you in the head with a fin that's also <laughs> a problem because then everything everything flies off and you know you 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 like inhale and drink more water than you than you intend to but this is in a an up and down motion like always somebody has to go down and drive the puck, but the others need to go up to get some air because they know that eventually he'll run out of oxygen. So he'll need to come up and then he'll need to pass. So by that time, you need to go back down, catch the pass so he can go up, get some oxygen, and then you keep on driving until you score the goal. Good grief. It sounds like an awful lot of hard work, but I will definitely check that out on YouTube. I guess there must be videos of people playing it. I don't know. If it's a, is it a spectator sport or is it one for the purists? Um, well, kind of, but obviously you have to, um, um, you know, there has to be like underwater cameras and things like that. It's, it almost, when you watch those videos, it almost, uh, they almost look like those early James Bond underwater fight scenes, you know, when like people are trying to stab each other. <laughs> I love so, it. Um, I love it. That underwater is, hockey. Yeah. I mean, I, ne- I didn't have a chance in hell, obviously, because I didn't even know the sport existed. So that was a really good one. Okay. My, my, my last question is, uh, what watch would you wear? As an underwater hockey player, um, if if any, I suppose you need to have a diver, something that's not too heavy, so you don't scratch uh, the other player. Um, I thought you might have gone in the other direction. I thought you might have taken something like a ploprof to seriously damage the other players. Well, you could do that, yes, but that's the difference between you and I. You see, um, I don't want to. We don't want to cause bodily harm. No, 
I would say probably um, probably the new Doxa with the forged carbon case because that's light enough. You know, an orange dial right. or a yellow dial that's right. that's pretty pretty visible. If we have an orange gloves on and orange hats, then it matches the hats. Oh, that's a really not good that choice. I need the watch. And you were you were wearing that the other day in your in your most recent podcast with Mike, right? Yes, the Doxa. Yes. And exactly. what do you have on your wrist today? We're going to round off the show with a wrist check. That's unusual. Um, nothing. Oh, because I'm packing already. But wait, wait. Let me cheat because behind me is all the stuff that I've packed, and I have the Doxa with me. Okay. And I have the GMT with me, and I have my Vintage Speedmaster with me. So a trio uh, of options to accompany you on your trip back to Hungary. Mm-hmm. Very yeah. nice. Today, yeah. I am wearing a very new. Fratello Minaze DeVito limited edition um, on a brown shell cordovan leather strap from Nomos, bizarrely. I, uh, I flipped it off the bracelet and put it on something a little bit more low profile to keep it close to the wrist, and it is wearing like a dream. I love it. So congratulations to the, uh, the other owners of this, of this watch. It was a, a nice project and a great success, and we look forward to bringing you more in that vein soon. And what we look forward to bringing you even more than that, of course, is our episode 10, which will be, as we mentioned at the top of the show, delayed for some weeks. We might pop in with episode 9.1, 9.2, 9.3, 9.4, maybe. I I knew there was going to be some reason why we had these 9.0s. But in the meantime, we thank you all for listening and thank you very, very much for getting in touch. Thank you for sending us those questions. I'm sorry we couldn't get through all of the ones that filled our mailbag but please keep sending them in because we can do another show like this it was a lot of fun i learned a lot about balage certainly and a little bit about myself in the process and not quite as much as i'd like to have learned about eleanor fields of indiana so maybe we'll get her on the line at some point in the future if she fancies it so guys until the next time stay safe keep on ticking